Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. Good morning, Trinity Community Church. How are you doing today? Well, it's upon us, baby. We prayed, we've sought the Lord, we've done all kind of stuff in preparation for what God's going to bring next weekend. I'm proud of you as your pastor, and I want to encourage you, don't stop now. So we've laid the groundwork, we've prepared for you to do something. So my heart is this, during the event that God would allow you to be naturally supernatural. That means this, listen for God, share your heart. Now do me a favor, don't be a jerk, and you know who you are, right? But don't be afraid to share your faith, and don't be afraid to be led by the Spirit. Somebody needs prayer for something, man, say, I'm just going to pray with you real quick. And let God use you in a supernatural way. I believe that on Saturday, God's going to move people from death to life. And he's going to use you if you let him. Um, and know this too. For some of you, it's funny. As, as we pray through October, the amount of people that are like, man, pastor, like my world, like the wheels are falling off of everything. Do you know why that is? Because you're pressing into the things that the enemy hates. He hates your guts. Because you're taking a stand for God, you're not shrinking into the back, and we're actually doing something in alignment with God's heart. And he doesn't like that. So he's pushing back. You know, so today we're going to talk about, you know, what it means, your enemy, and not just how to receive his pushes, but how to push him back too. That's why we're dealing with fear. You know, fear is one of those things that just, it gets you when you're not looking. We, um, yesterday, uh, Rob and I, we went to Kohl's because we had the infamous Kohl's cash. And it's got an expiration date, so you've got to spend the Kohl's cash before it becomes nothing. So we go there, shopping around, do a few things, and I've never had this encounter ever, this experience at Kohl's before, but we have a shopping cart, and as I'm pushing it through the doors to go to the car, I'm pushing pretty quick because we're, we're, we're in a rush, all of the wheels of the, of the cart lock. And I'm like, what is going, and I almost fly over the front, I almost go right into the car, I'm like, what is going on, I'm wrestling with this cart. And I go, ma'am, there's something wrong with this cart. She goes, sir, the sign. I said, what sign? She goes, the sign. And next to the doors, there's a sign that says, carts are not allowed to be taken out of the store. Did you know this? Did you know that they have an anti-theft thing on there that locks all the wheels? Do me a favor. Today after church, go there, try it out. Get a full run out and go, ah! It just stopped. And Robin, what do you do? Because the sign's right there, man, Right? And everything stops. It's funny to me sometimes. We, we face opposition. Things push against us. Things stop. Things lock. And we fail to read the signs of why it's happening. When you don't know the signs, you know what you do? You go, woe is me. I can't believe this. What's going on? And God's like, I've told you about all this stuff already. I need you to read the sign and see what's going on in the world around you. I think a lot of that is the spirit realm. And one of the challenges with our church in America, it's not in the world. The church in the world is very familiar with the spirit realm. You go to Africa, you go to China, you go to India, they're very familiar with the spirit realm. But here in America, we've almost reasoned away this world that we can't see, but the Bible talks all about it. I remember years ago, like a billion years ago, I was at Southeastern University and... Um, I had a paper due on spiritual warfare. So they gave us, you know, the passage we're going to look at today, the one in Ephesians. 
And I remember I was a student manager in the cafeteria, so I had keys to the cafeteria, so I could go into the cafeteria anytime I wanted, which was a bad idea. <laughs> Don't give the chunky Greek kid keys to the cafeteria. So I'm in there late one night because I did what sometimes college students do. I procrastinated, and my paper was due the next day. Now, let me just fill you in on what 1989 looked like when you're writing papers in college. We did not have fancy, schmancy computers. I had a typewriter. I had an electric typewriter, and I type like bad, which means like what would normally take a great typist, you know, I don't know, 30 minutes would take me three hours. An electric one. I, I, was, I was progressed from there. So I'm in there, I'm typing, and it's, it's dark in there, and I'm just doing my stuff. And I'll never forget this, ever. I could see something move out of the corner of my eye. It's just me, man. And the hair on the back of my neck just stood up. And I was like, what is that? And I remember looking off into this dark space of the cafeteria. It's a big place. And I could see this dark thing kind of moving back and forth. How many of you know experiences like that kind of, they have a way of getting your attention? So I'm sitting there at the cafeteria table with my typewriter, and I immediately start to pray. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. We don't have cell phones. We don't have any of that stuff. You know what we have? Jesus and death. That's all that we have. There's nothing else in between. And I'm like, what is going on? And it's just me. And I'm getting nervous. I'm starting to sweat. And I don't know what to do. And I'm not making this up, guys. All of a sudden, I see this, like, light behind me. And this thing just, this, this ball light just goes, moves right past me and goes into that corner. And that thing disappears and, and everything just goes away. Like a movie. You know what I did? I packed up my computer <laughs> and I skedaddled out of that cafeteria. I did. I stayed up. I didn't go to sleep. I was in my room. My room was like, shut off the lights. I'm like, I ain't going back in that place. I could die. I think, for me, that's one of the earliest recollections I could ever think of. That I had an encounter like that. And I couldn't explain it. I just knew this. It was real. Something had happened to me. So I remember for years it kind of stayed with me. And I remember, you know, praying, saying, Lord, why did you allow me to uh, have that type of encounter? Why did you allow me to see that, Lord? And I believe that God spoke to me, and I believe that he told me this. I was young, man, when this was going on. I don't know if you know this or not. In the Greek Orthodox Church, we don't encounter stuff like that a lot. We don't. I believe God told me this. Son, I'm allowing you to see these things to show you the real source behind what's happening around you. I want to get, pull the veil back just for a second just to show you. I believe he told me, he said, man, you're going to encounter these things as long as you're positioned and full of my spirit in such a way that I can use you to deal with these things. Do you know that there's a big part of the church today that don't feel like they're equipped to deal with darkness? And what's interesting to me is this. This is one of the main things that is a church that we're called to do. If we don't deal with darkness, who does? There you go. Give her a t-shirt. That's great. It ain't like Ghostbusters. You ain't got nobody to call. I told you this. This is a great, you know, I was in Wisconsin, and one of the pastors in town called me one day. And he said, man, he goes, I'm having a parishioner has got weird stuff happening at their house. He says, what's going on? He said, the TV's turning on and off, the bed's shaking, the chandeliers are moving, all this crazy stuff. She thinks her house is possessed. I said, well, that's crazy. He says, the craziest thing is this. He goes, I went over there. And everything she said that would happen, it all happened when I was there too. And he said, you could feel there's something in there. And I said, that's great. I said, well, what's the, why are you calling me? He goes, 
He goes, I don't believe in that stuff, so I don't deal with that stuff. He goes, but you being charismatic, you guys probably deal with that stuff all the time. And I'm like, well, really, we don't. I said, but we can. I said, so you're calling me, telling me that you don't believe in it even though you experienced it. He goes, yes. I says, what you're telling me is you don't know how to deal with it. He goes, yes. I said, I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll go over there. I'll bring some people, you know. I'll bring some prayer people, and he's thinking like these big, chunky, huge guys. Most of the most powerful prayer people I have are usually in their 70s. They've got white hair, and their little ladies about that big. Those are the ones that make hell tremble. They are, by the way, just in case you, you were wondering. I said, we'll go over there, and we'll deal with it. But here's the catch. You've got to come with us. And he said, absolutely not. I'll never go into that house ever again. Do you know what we did? We went over there. We prayed through the house. We prayed with the lady. About a month later, the family started coming to our church. How many of you know that your faith isn't really a faith if there's limits on it where they can't deal with certain things that they're supposed to deal with? You cannot be a fully devoted follower of Christ and not know how to deal with darkness. Your faith will be limited. Your faith will be physical. Your faith will be limited to what you can think in your mind. Sometimes we forget, beloved, we are not just in a physical battle. This isn't just, you know, our faith is more than just mental exercise and theological prowess. It's power. It comes with power. I remember I was at uh, Tennessee Youth Camp. I was in college, and I was part of a, of, a, of a group that would go and recruit kids to come to college. I was just part of a singing group. And I think this is the first time I'd ever encountered somebody that I would consider possessed. We're at youth camp. It's in the middle of a service. There's a little red-haired girl. Now, if you have red hair, I'm not saying anything about you. This girl just had that little red hair. I married a redhead. She sat down, and in the middle of the worship service, she started to freak out and speak in a resonance, in a tone, a guttural tone that I'm like, how is that sound coming out of that little girl? And I'll be honest with you. It freaked me out. I'm in the back. I'm like, what's going on? And I've bunch of prayer guys came over. They started laying hands on her, and she started throwing people's hands off. I watched her throw five dudes around like rag dolls. Little girl. And finally, one of the little ladies came off the stage. She prayed for her, put her hand on her head, started to pray for her, and the girl started screaming, ah! and I'm in the back going, ah! I never encountered this. I don't want you to do with this. And in a second, she screamed. She fell to the ground. She stood up, and all I could tell you is this. She was different. She looked different. Her countenance was different. Everything was different. And I thought to myself, wow, this stuff is real. We live in a spiritual world. Sometimes we forget, beloved, that we are in a spiritual battle, even though the signs are everywhere. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. The signs are everywhere. So the passage we're going to read this morning is in your Bible, the Gideons, when they put that Bible in the nightstand at all the hotels, it's in there. At St. Mary's, that big Catholic Bible, the 38-pounder, takes two hands to open. It's in there. It's in all the Bibles of every church that's here. This is in there. Ephesians 6.10 says this. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against his stra- the, all the strategies of the devil. Verse 12. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Did you read that? Bless you. I'm going to read that one more time, verse 12. 
We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing. The signs are everywhere. And still, you know what we do? We fight the flesh in front of us instead of dealing with the real problem that's behind them. How many have ever been sick before? When I'm sick and I have to go to the doctor, I don't want you to give me something that will just mitigate my sickness, that will make my sickness bearable. I want you to deal with the problem. Are you with me? I love this. (laughs) I am with you. This is great. God has given the church the ability to deal with the problem. So here's the question. How can we not just engage this enemy on a spiritual level? It's more than just for us just to know about him, but how can we defeat him? How can we defeat the forces of darkness, and how can the church be the church? The first is this. You have to know your adversary. We have an adversary. We have an enemy. Now, this enemy is something, somebody that goes beyond just disagreeing with you. This enemy is more than than a person that you just don't like or that just doesn't like you. The enemy we face first, understand this, is spiritual. It's the devil, it's the enemy. And we face him and all of the forces of darkness. The day that you gave your heart to Christ, you put the enemy put a bullseye on you. You became dangerous. As long as you're asleep and doing whatever he wants you to do, there's no danger there. But when you decide to follow Jesus, there's a bullseye on you. And you got to know this, beloved. I know, you know, when you think of the devil, you think of the guy on the red pitchfork, and, oh, look at that, he's kind of goofy, and he's kind of clumsy, and he's this and that. You know, I remember, you know, it's, it's actually a shame. We got word this week that one of our older saints in Denver, Mary Childers, died at 106. She's one of the oldest ladies in Colorado, 106. She grew up in, 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 in you know, Pentecost and all the, the holiness movement. They were not allowed to wear red. You know why they weren't allowed to wear red? Because the devil wears red. Because we have photographic evidence of the enemy wearing red. Right? Sometimes we think, well, that's the enemy. He's just, he's kind of a bumbling thing and he does whatever he wants. That's not the enemy at all. Know this about the enemy. He hates your guts. Why? Not because you're a Christian. It's more than that. He hates your guts because you're an image bearer. You bear the image of God. Now know this. All of humanity is created in the image of God. Don't forget this. That jerk that you go to work with is an image bearer. That person that you're arguing with on Facebook is an image bearer. That person that just doesn't like you is an image bearer just like you. And the enemy hates, hates all of our guts. Collectively, he hates humanity. And this is the goal of the enemy. Not to just take out the church and destroy Christians, but destroy all humanity. He wants to take out as many image bearers as possible. Why? He can't defeat God, but you know what he can do? He can hurt him. You know how the enemy hurts God? By hurting his children. He can mess with us. And when he messes with us, it hurts the heart of God. Hey, I don't know about you, but you do whatever you want to do to me. But don't you mess with my children. Right? Don't you mess? How many of you know that your children are your children? They're always going to be your children. 
So again, I said this last week, you know, Rob and I, we have three kids because we did not want four. This must end now. And you know, I got two boys. I mean, Ty was the first and strong, you know, part of the worship team does great stuff. Toby, big, you know, gangly, 6'3", big kid. But there's always a special place in my heart for my daughter, Tori Lynn Harris. And you, you know Tori, right? Now, this is the thing, and I don't know, if, girls, if you know this. I'm going to let me drop some knowledge on you right now. Now, even though, you know, we have, um, you know, this is a picture of me and Tori at a wedding. And even though you see Tori today as a, as a 20-something, I don't think it's her age, as a 20-something-year-old young lady, when I see Tori, you can go to the next slide. Or even, that's how I see Tori. That's Tori in her younger days before she went nuts. That's her right there. <laughs> so you always have the relationship with your children, especially my daughter. She, I'm her protector. I'm her daddy. I remember a few years ago, you know, she was going to school in Colorado. We'd already moved to Wisconsin. And it, it, it's hard when you have, you have somebody that's that far away going to school and doing their things. And I remember um, I had uh, been talking to her and she was having trouble uh, at, at school. They, they, had, uh, they were living, uh, her and her roommate were living off campus. And her roommates, she had a family relative that for whatever reason, uh, just it took a liking to Tori as an older guy, and it was just it was a bad situation. And as a father, how many of you know that that drives you nuts? I want to be right there. So to boot to that, I just got through back surgery. It was rough, so I was still healing. Well, in the midst of all this, we found out that uh, I had a family friend that lost a son. I had to fly out to Denver. I wasn't really supposed to be on a plane yet because the surgery was really fast. It was, it was rough. I said, I'm, I got to get there. So I, I get out there. Tyler's out there with me, too, because he knows the kid. And I decided while I was out there, it was, it was my parental duty to, to meet this gentleman that had been acting like a jerk to my daughter. It was bad. Because how many of you know, you know I'm, I'm a saved, sanctified, fully devoted follower of Christ. But don't touch my daughter. Right? So I talked to Ty. I said, Ty, this is what we're going to do. Let me just tell you this right now. Tyler was supposed to be my backup. He was not. He was like, Dad, I can't do that. I was like, you know, you stink. I'm just telling you right now. So we go up to the place, guy's sitting on the porch, I walk out of the car, and I'm, I'm moving gingerly, can't move a whole lot, and I go up, and I say, hey, so you're Mark. He goes, yeah, I'm Mark. He goes, you must be TJ, Tory's dad. I go, yeah, he comes off stage, he's a big dude, he's kept growing. He reached out his hand, and he shook my hand, and he goes, hey, I heard you had back surgery. I said, I heard you're like, you, know, you just you heard you're still suffering. I, he said, I heard that you're still a little sore, and you know, you kind of, you're a little hurt, and I said, oh, no, I said, you heard all wrong. I said, they put titanium in my back. I said, I'm stronger, I'm better. I said, I'm basically Iron Man right now. I said, by the way, if you talk to my daughter again like that, we're going to have big issues. Do you understand what I'm saying? He looked at me, he goes, yes, sir. And he backed up. I looked at the car and I was like, thanks for nothing to Tyler. Thanks for nothing. The big arms and the tattoos. And I walked to the car and I went, ah! and I just died. <laughs> Got to hold it together for the moment. We don't like it when people mess with our kids. God doesn't like it either. But that's what the enemy does. If he can mess with you, he can break the heart of the Father. So know this. The enemy is not something to be trifled with. He's real. His heart is to destroy you and his heart is to destroy our community. This is what the Bible talks, when it talks about the enemy, this is what it says. 1 Peter 5, uh, 8 says this. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 
John 10.10 says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is our enemy. So you know who the enemy is. So here's the next question. What does God ask of us as believers in order to deal with our adversary and help to establish the kingdom of God here in our time? What is our role? What is our part to play? Well, the second part is this, and this is where we struggle sometimes, believers. You have to know your authority. We don't just know the adversary. You have to know your authority in Christ. When Jesus left, he made it very clear that we're to carry on the mission that he started. If you got your Bibles, flip to Matthew 28. This is what Jesus left as our mission. He said, Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now just pause there for a second. That word all is the Greek word panta, which means this, ready? All. That doesn't mean you have only authority over certain things and not other things. He's been given all the authority. So we serve the victor, not the victim. That means this. As we continue to read the church, we operate from that place. Not from a place of weakness, but from a place of authority. Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you, and be sure of this. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now what's funny is this. With those marching orders, we cherry pick sometimes the things that we think are easy to us or the things that we like. Like one of the words that for the church that we, that we are gravitated to very quickly is obey. I will teach them to obey all of the commands. And don't get me wrong, that's important to teach people and to bring them up to stuff. But how many of you know this? If we don't take the first part out, if we don't with authority go into all the world and make disciples, none of the rest of it works. Do you know what we try to do? We try to make people that don't know God obey. If you don't know God, if God hasn't changed your heart, how can we expect non-believers to understand where we're coming from? Do you know how to fix this whole world? Make more fully devoted followers of Christ. Take God to people and allow him to change their hearts. you know how you change the government? Get more people saved. Are you with me? Guys, this is beyond policy. This is a spiritual issue. And the church is equipped to deal with spiritual things. Get people saved. I pray for all of our leadership every day. Do you know why? I want them not just to make good decisions for me. I want them to discover who God is. Because I don't know about you. When God came into my life, he revolutionized everything. If he could do that for me, how many of you could do that for somebody else? Even other jerks that are created in God's image too. Right? He can do that. It's all part of it. So Jesus had authority, and through him, he's given his authority to us as believers. So how does this authority thing work for us as believers? Because you say words like authority, and people start to get freaked out. Don't be freaked out. How do we operate in this authority? Well, the first thing is this. We do what Jesus did. We pray. Prayer is the fuel in the engine of the church. And by far, prayer is the thing that we do the least. Am I wrong? Thank you. I like her. <laughs> I was invited to a, uh, 
just a gathering of some pastors of, of big-sized churches, and we're talking about stuff. And one of the things they threw on the table was this. We, uh, we would meet um, quarterly, and they, they'd make a list of topics they'd like to talk about. And, and the 800-pound gorilla, the big, big church that put all this on together, sat down, and, 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 and the top of the board said, corporate prayer strategy. So I sat down, I'm listening. I was the only one in the room that was of our persuasion, you know, fully go, you know, full, full gospel church. All the other denominations represented. And they asked the question, okay, what do you do from a church standpoint? What is your, your corporate prayer strategy as a church? And I sat there and I just listened. You know what I heard? Silence. And then somebody chirped up. They said, well, you know, we encourage our people to pray. I just sat there in silence. And I thought to myself, these are massive churches, and they don't pray. So one of the guys, actually the guy who's leader, says, TJ, what, you guys, what do you guys do? I said, well, I said, we don't do a ton of stuff. At this point, I said, we do prayer every Tuesday. We pray in the morning every Tuesday. I said, we do once a month prayer furnaces. We do that. That's a little bigger thing. I said, at that point, we do four times a year, 24-hour prayer. And the guys were looking at me like, are you out of your mind? Do you guys have time to get anything else done? And I'm like, well, we pray for an hour once a week, an hour once a month, and then it's, that's not a lot. But it was like, <laughs> prayer's a big deal. But it's the thing that we usually do the least. Know this, beloved. If we're prayerless, we're powerless. If you're struggling with authority and knowing what to pray for and you're praying for people and things aren't happening, things aren't moving, I would encourage you to, to pray. Talk to the Lord about that. Be filled up. Be connected with God. This is not just about what we believe. It's about how we live, who we are. Pray. Prayer is important. This is why for us as a church, we take time to pray. This is also why we, we ramp up prayer, like we did just recently with our, our Prayer Furnace Extreme. So we did 24 hours of prayer last week from Sunday to Monday. We had over 100 people engaged in this. So on Monday, we gave God a full day of prayer, 24 hours from this house. We cried, we prayed, we sought the Lord for all of the people that are going to be here in two weeks. Why? Prayer is the fuel in the engine of the church. Trinity, well done. Well done. It's not about the candy, even though it's delicious. It's not about the bikes. It's not about the food. You know what it's about? The harvest. You pray. You seek the Lord. This is what I'm expecting on that next Saturday. A supernatural encounter that we've never seen before yet. Now again, when I say this, some of you are like, oh, it's gonna, clouds are going to fall. and I don't know if it's going to look like that, but you know what I want to see? I want to see people move from death to life. That's what I want to see. What's more miraculous than a human heart that was going this way to turn around and start to follow the cross? What's more miraculous than that? Nothing. So can you do me a favor? Everybody look at me right now. This is super important. You have got to move your faith beyond yourself and remember the mission. Move it beyond yourself, your comfort and your selfishness, and remember why we are here, beloved. We've got to stop fighting, stop arguing. I'm not talking about our house. I'm talking about the church in general. And we've got to get back on mission to seek and save the lost. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We reconcile people back to God. That's what we do. We dump the tank for that. Can we do that? Thank you. I love her. <laughs> It's like the amen corner. 
We did prayer furnace, and for 24 hours, we bombarded heaven and asked God not just to push back the darkness in our region, but also, but also to help people to be open to the extravagant love of God. You know what we did for that day? We, we created open space over this house. You can only do that through prayer, beloved. You can't do that through advertising. You can't do that through awesome worship. You can't do that through great preaching. You can only do that through prayer. So you know what will happen on Saturday? We're going to walk in. Have you noticed this? I tell our team this all the time. We start October, the two, first two weeks in October, it's like we're moving through mud. And something happens. We hit the, mid, uh, the midpoint of October. Things start to break and things start to open up. You know why? The prayers are starting to get effective, starting to push back the enemy. We're starting to punch holes in the atmosphere where we can see God's presence just starting to seek through. It's going to get even better. So the day of the event, usually the day of the event isn't nuts for us. It's peaceful. It's exciting. It's great. Why? We've prayed. We've done the work, baby. You know, we have a tendency, once we're going into it, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Well, if you pray before that, he's already going to be with you. Hello? Are you with me? Somebody like, Pastor, you're loud today. <laughs> the enemy hates the possibility of all the things that God could do through you when you're in situations like you're going to be in on Saturday. Prayer engages you with the heart of God and empowers you to be used by him. Ephesians 6.18 says this, pray always, pray in the spirit, pray about everything in every way uh, that you know how, and keep all this in mind, pray on the behalf of God's people, keep on praying fear, uh, feverishly, uh, and then be on the lookout until evil has been stayed. That's your job. Pray, 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 till the enemy pushes back, pray. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's your mindset. That's your posture when you pray. When you pray, you deal with the real, with, you deal with the real enemy. This is what I want you to do. Bow your heads real quick. Grab the hand of the person next to you. We're going to practice this. I'm going to lead you in prayer for, uh, for Saturday. I just want you to agree with me. Heavenly Father, right now, we pray once again that, Father, your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth that it is in heaven right now in our town, in our region, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray for next Saturday for Family Fest. We pray that, Father, that this would be a place of miracles. We pray that, Father, those that come that are in bondage would be set free. We pray that those who are oppressed, Lord God, would experience life again, Lord Jesus. We pray for families. We pray, Lord God, that you would come and show up in a powerful way. And, Father, we pray that you would use us. We give you permission right now, Lord God, to use us. Let us love people the way you would love them. We want to be your hands. We want to be your feet. I pray that, Father, that you would attend our ears, Lord God, that we'd be able to hear your spirit. Father, we pray for divine appointments with people so that, Father, we can see your kingdom not just hold its ground, but grow and expand. In your name, amen. Second thing, a way that we can walk in our authority is this. We have to be able to not just pray, but proclaim. What does it mean for us to proclaim? When you share your faith, when you share your God stories, what we do is we declare the word of God, the heart of God to others. When you proclaim, the kingdom advances. Do you know that
If he can keep your mouth shut, the kingdom of God doesn't advance. How does the enemy love to keep your mouth shut? What does he use? Fear. Fear. What do people think? What are people going to say? What if I screw up? What if I, you know what that is? Fear. That's why we're here to demolish fear this month. When you speak, the kingdom advances. It's all part of the thing. We see this for real in the life of Paul. You know, when you look at the conversion of Paul, it was an incredible experience. So here in this passage, you know, Paul's on the road to Damascus in Acts. He's recounting a little bit of what happened to him on the road. If you know anything about Saul, turn to Paul. Saul was one of the biggest persecutors of the early church. We know that he was at, at when Stephen was, was stoned, the first martyr of the church. We know that he was given papers to, to snuff out this new movement. Well, God, you know, the church saw Paul, Paul as an enemy. God saw Paul as an instrument that he could use to advance the kingdom. So he, did decide, you know, he decided to show up and to meet Paul on the road to Damascus. And this is Acts 26. This is Paul talking about the encounter that he had with Jesus. He says this. This is Paul speaking. Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness, to tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. So what does he tell Paul? I've saved you. I've come to you for a reason. I'm sending you so that you can speak, proclaim, tell people stuff about this encounter and then what I'm going to show you in the future. Well, what, was, what were the things that he showed Paul in the future? Oh, I don't know. Paul wrote three quarters of the New Testament. Do you think he had a pretty good beat on what God was asking of him? I think he did, right? Verse 17, he said this, And I will rescue you from both your own people and from the Gentiles. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they'll receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Paul's story. God saved Paul to send Paul. And when he did that, the enemy was pushed back and people were saved. And we are still impacted by Paul's proclamations today. You guess who wrote the book of Ephesians? Paul. He's still speaking thousands of years after his death. Now Jesus even spoke to us about the power of proclamation as well. In Luke 4, Jesus is in the synagogue and he gets up and he reads one of the ancient scrolls from Isaiah. And he reads it in that moment that that scroll is fulfilled. And it's fulfilled in Jesus. And then he passed that along to us. This is Luke 4.18. It says this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind. To set liberty to those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Proclamation. Beloved. Our faith is not a mamsy-pamsy faith. Our faith is not, sometimes we made our faith, we have our little personal relationship with God, and it's so sweet, and it's so nice, and it's, it's very contained. God never called us to have this little thing in a corner all by ourselves. That's not the power of the gospel. God transformed you for a purpose, to send you. There's action in it, to speak freedom over those that are bound, to open your mouths and to proclaim the good news to everybody. 
So how do you start? You know how you start? In God's house. Don't be afraid. Just practical things. Don't be afraid to sing. You know, the Eagles are playing later today. I think they're playing the Dolphins, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? That stadium's going to be rocking, right? Can you imagine if you went to the stadium and it's just quiet? You know? Peanuts here. Shh. <laughs> no. So here's a good way to practice your proclamation. Sing! The last song we sang today. Come alive in the name. Look, some of you are like, hmm. Come alive. This is a house of me. Open your mouth. Something happens when you speak. The enemy shudders. Do you know anybody that needs freedom today? Do you know anybody that needs to experience God? I would encourage you. Open your mouths. Pray. Proclaim God's heart over their lives. Father, would you touch that family? Father, would you save them? Father, would you? Now, I'm not talking about in your mind. I'm talking about with your lips. Let it out and see what God will do. How many of you know somebody right now that need, they're far from God, they need to have a God encounter? Lift your hand, if that's you. I want you, to, I want you to take five seconds right now, and I just want you to pray a prayer, pray for them by name, that they would encounter God. Go ahead. Proclamation. Five seconds, all we did. Practice that. Do it. How do you walk in authority? You know, we, we know the adversary. How do we know our authority? We pray. It's the first thing you do. The second thing you do is you proclaim. We speak over people. We speak God's heart. The third is this. This is the favorite part. Ready for this? You provide space for miracles. You know what your number one job as a believer? You don't, you're not here to make it happen. You know what you're here to do? You're here to provide space so that God can make it happen. He's the engine. We just do what he tells us to do, right? We are the delivery system for miracles. Do you know that? Do you know this? Miracles. It's hard to have a miracle if you don't have space for a miracle. It's really tough, right? Anytime you and I face an obstacle, pain, trouble, you have a choice. You can allow those things to defeat you. You can go, oh, it stinks to be me. You can be, you ever met Christians like that? How you doing today? Oh, it's tough. I'm persevering. You know, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Oh, right? God didn't call us to be like that. You can either choose to let the trouble defeat you, or you can choose to allow God to use us as an opportunity for him to display his power. When you don't make space for miracles, when you don't allow God to use you, to do the miraculous, to allow the Holy Spirit to flow through you, the enemy wins. He wins. When you're quiet and you don't make space, the enemy wins. Jesus had a great story about this. You got your Bibles turned to Luke chapter 8. We're almost done. It says this. So they arrived in the region called uh, Jesserinus, across, from, uh, the lake of Gal uh, across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and he fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded an evil spirit to come out of him, and the spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Verse 30, 
Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for we're filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged to let him enter into those pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Verse 33, then the demons came out of the man and they entered the pigs, and the entire herd was plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. Now this is interesting. You ready for this? Look at 34. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to a nearby town uh, and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. Verse 35, people rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Think about this. They all knew this dude. They were terrified to go near these tombs because this dude could jump out at any minute. It's one thing to be naked. It's another thing to be naked and really strong. Break chains. Ah, he's naked. He's strong. Run! Right? They saw this. They didn't see it as a miracle. They saw it as something they couldn't explain, so they were afraid. And look what they did. Verse 37. And this is crazy. Or verse 36. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Verse 37. And all the people in the region of Dresdenus begged Jesus to go away and to leave them alone. For a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat. He left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. They didn't receive him. They were afraid. And they said, you got you to leave, man. Why did they ask him to leave? Well, there's a ton. Of, I could spend a whole other hour talking about this. One of the big reasons is this. How many of you know when Jesus shows up, he doesn't leave things the same? For some of you, some of you are here today because that's, that's the final step for you. You're like, man, if I step across this line, I know God's going to, you know, maybe he's going to be the one leading the charge, not me. How many of you know that it's not bad to have the creator lead you? Right? He's the good shepherd, right? So Jesus encounters this thing. Everybody sees the miracle, but they have a different thought. But the hinge of it is this. Jesus did something miraculous. He saw darkness, he dealt with darkness, and he set somebody free. And I know what you're thinking. Well, that was great. Jesus did that, right? But I'm not Jesus. What do you expect me to do about stuff like that? Well, John 14, 12 says this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done, even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. He said this in Mark 16, verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Are you a believer here this morning? This is for you. In my name, they will cast out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll pick up serpents with their hands. And if, and if they drink deadly poison, it won't hurt them. They'll lay their hands on the sick and they'll recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. Now, understand this. I'm not advocating anybody to pick up a snake. Because they're creepy, and I don't like them either. Right? We're not, we're not, don't pick up a snake. But I do wonder this. What could God do? What would happen if we decided to make room for him in our everyday lives? Not just for the safe things, but for the real things, the deep things that have nothing to do with us, but have everything to do with the mission. Seeking and saving the lost, seeing that the captives are free.
That's the heart of all of this. So Saturday, you're going to have an opportunity to put this into practice, baby. Family Fest is not about candy. It's about connection. Connecting lost people with God. Lost people matter to God, so they matter to us too. So here's the big question, beloved. Will you let God use you? Will you step out in authority? Will you pray your guts out? Will you proclaim the good news? Will you provide space for miracles? I'll tell you what, man. Who knows? Maybe God just might show up. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.